turn your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 4, but leave your Bible open. We're going to look at various passages in the Acts of the Apostles. Every time we meet Barnabas in Acts, he's encouraging someone. So we'll follow the story of Barnabas through the Acts of the Apostles. We'll begin in a moment with Acts chapter 4. G.K. Chesterton, an English journalist, once wrote, The really great person is a person who makes every person feel great. The really great person is the person who makes every person feel great. That's really true, isn't it? When two people interact with each other, they're both changed forever. I have a lasting influence on you and you have a lasting influence on me. And whether our influence is helpful or hurtful or positive or negative, depends on whether we give each other the gift of encouragement. Encouragers are special people in our lives. You know who the encouragers are in your life. Are you an encourager in someone else's life? Encouragers are pleasant to be around because they are optimistic and enthusiastic. They have a quiet self-confidence about them, which enables them to focus on others rather than demanding constant attention to fulfill their own emotional needs. An encourager is other-focused. I think of Robbie Barrett as such a person in my life and in the lives of many people at First Baptist Church. Robbie doesn't need a whole lot from anybody else, really doesn't show that he needs anything at all, but he is constantly giving to others encouragement to others. Encouragers are by nature other-focused and not inward, self-focused. Encouragers make really good followers of Christ because Christianity is at its base a relationship, religion, relationship with Christ and relationship with church family. I bet you have no idea this morning how biblical the idea of encouragement really is. This is not pop, pop psychology today. This is the word of God for you today. Discouragers, on the other hand, play such a negative role in our lives. Have you been someone else's discourager? I bet you can tell me about a time when someone at just the wrong time was a discourager in your life. Dwayne Brooks, friend of mine and pastor of the great Tallywood Baptist Church in Houston, he said it was a difficult time growing up in the Brooks family. There are four boys in that family. His dad was working double duty, double jobs in order to meet the needs of four growing boys, trying to make the money to support his family. He was tired and worn out. And when Dwayne was in the fourth grade, he went into his father and said, Dad, I want to play baseball. No, you don't want to play baseball, his father barked back. 
Yes, I do. I, I really do. I, I want to sign up for a baseball team, Dwayne said in the fourth grade. No, 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 you don't. You don't want to play baseball. His father retorted, yes, dad, I really do. I really want to play baseball. Okay, his dad said abruptly. He took Dwayne out to the field and threw the baseball as hard as he could at the chest of his fourth grade son. Thank goodness Dwayne dodged the ball. It went past him and his father barked, I told you, you're not a baseball player. And turned and walked away, leaving his son standing alone on the field. On that occasion, Dwayne's father discouraged a fourth grade boy's dreams. He broke the hopes of his son. When have you encouraged your son, your daughter, your employees, your friends? Let me tell you, the Bible is full of people who are commanded to encourage and are called encouragers. I think about Moses. He's not allowed to go into the land, but he's supposed to encourage Joshua. In Deuteronomy 3, God says, God says to Moses, go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes to the west and the north and the south and the east and see it with your eyes. For you should not cross over this Jordan, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. Deuteronomy 3, 27. Moses, God says, you're to be an encourager to Joshua. Or Hezekiah. He spoke reassuring words to a discouraged people of Jerusalem during the siege of the Syrian king Sennacherib. 2 Chronicles 32. And he appointed military officers over all the people and gathered them to him in the square of the city. And he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to them. Paul, a great encourager of the New Testament, he wrote in Colossians, I'm sending Tychicus to encourage you. He says to both Timothy and Titus, encourage your churches. In Acts, the church in Jerusalem sent a letter to the Christians in Antioch, and it says in Acts, they were encouraged by the good words of the letter. And then we learn about Silas. Silas had much to encourage the brothers, quote unquote. Four times in 1 Thessalonians, we are admonished to encourage one another. And the book of Hebrews says we are to encourage one another daily. Do you know the, the ministry of encouragement is central to a healthy church? Over 30 times in the New Testament, encouragement is commanded as a duty of believers. We live in a world that discourages us on every hand. The old cowboy sings about being home on the range where the deer and the antelope play and seldom is heard a discouraging word. I don't know where he lives, but he doesn't live where I live. He has some kind of utopian fantasy going on in that cowboy's mind. Because the world today is a very discouraging place. During the Boer War in 1899 to 1902, a man was convicted of a very unusual crime. He was found guilty of being a discourager. 
While the South African town of Ladysmith was under attack, the trader moved up and down the lines and he said, you know we're going to lose. You know they have better weaponry than we do. You know the city is indefensible, don't you? You know we're all going to die if we keep fighting this war and if we don't surrender. He didn't use a gun against his own country. It wasn't necessary. He was convicted and guilty of the power of discouragement. Now, I'm not just throwing stones at you. This is very confessional. When our oldest daughter, Ryan, was a toddler, she said to me one time, Daddy, talk to me like you talk to Jake. Jake's our dog. (laughs) What's she saying to me? Talk to me like you talk to Jake. And then I began to understand when I talked to Jake, you're such a good boy. I use a high-pitched voice. You come to Daddy and, you know, all that. And when I talked to her, it was don't stop, quit, in low tone. Well, what does that say about your pastor's parental rearing skills? His children long to be spoken as he speaks to his dog. There you go. We live in a discouraging world looking for an encouraging word. When we come to Barnabas today, what a guy. His name means son of encouragement. What a great name. Barnabas translated son of encouragement. Barnabas was an individual who had the ability to hold people around him high. He was the kind of individual who believed in people. He didn't give up on people. When everybody else had long cast them aside. Well, first of all, Barnabas encouraged by giving. Barnabas encouraged by giving. Look at Acts 4, 36. And Joseph, a Cypriite of uh, Levi of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The Christian church, you'll remember at this point, is very, very young in Acts. On the day of Pentecost, we've gone from 120 disciples to 3,000 plus disciples. And there were many needs and the money was short and the believers were poor in Jerusalem. And Barnabas said, hey, I've got a piece of land I'm not using. He went and he sold it and he gave the money to the apostles to meet the needs of the new believers. We need people like Barnabas who are willing to step up and sacrifice and sell and give to the church. There are a lot of reasons we might be good stewards in church. We might do it as a sense of obedience or duty or guilt or hope of getting something back from God. But maybe a reason you never thought of. What an encourager you are when you give. I can't tell you as pastor how encouraged I am when the church gives and the staff's encouraged and other members encouraged and then they give all the more. You need to ask yourself some questions this morning. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you really believe that God was at work in His crucifixion and His resurrection? Do you really believe that the church is the institution, the bride of Christ, that Christ said, go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them? Do you really believe that? Is the church really an important part of your family? If the answer is yes to those things, then If you really believe them, you'll give and support the church. Barnabas gave because he loved God and he loved God's people. 
He encouraged those who had come into the gospel. There's a second way Barnabas encourages. He encourages by believing in others. Turn all the way over to Acts 9.26. Barnabas encourages by believing in others. Acts 9.26. When he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were afraid of Paul, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, there it is, there's your sermon, but Barnabas, everybody else had nothing to do with Paul, but Barnabas took hold of Paul and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road and how he had talked to Jesus and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Now you remember that Paul had been a persecutor of the church. He'd been on the road to Damascus, you remember, to arrest believers, followers of the way, bring them back to Jerusalem. He had letters from the high priest in his hand. And on that road, he saw the bright light. He was converted. But the apostles wouldn't believe. Peter wouldn't believe it. John wouldn't believe it. James wouldn't believe it. They were afraid it was a ruse that Paul was trying to infiltrate the church to arrest the very center, the apostles. I mean, give them some credit, they had seen their Christ crucified. You can't trust a man like Paul. He's a Pharisee. But Barnabas, Barnabas said, I think he's for real. I think Paul, the, the persecutor of the church, has come into the church. In fact, I, I'm told, Barnabas says, at Damascus that that they surrounded the city and guarded the gates because the Jews were trying to kill Paul and they laid him down in a basket over the wall at night. Paul had tried to associate with the apostles and the apostles didn't want anything to do with him and they didn't want Paul to do anything with them. They were shunning the apostle Paul who had become the most powerful writer of our New Testament. And who steps forward? Barnabas, the encourager. He's willing to risk a relationship with Paul. He believes in Paul when other disciples are doubting. And that moment of fear and prejudice and rejection, Barnabas stepped in and stepped out and stood along the Apostle Paul. It's a bold statement, but I believe it to be true. When you find anyone, in this case the Apostle Paul, who's doing great things, there are other persons along the way. There are Barnabases in their life who've cheered them on. Would Paul have ever been accepted by the church? But Barnabas had been the encouragers. Encouragers bring out the best in those around them. It's what makes an encourager so likable. They really listen when others speak and they're slow to judge. They take time for others like Barnabas took time for Paul. No one ever achieves anything great without a Barnabas in her life or his life. Think about it, teachers, this morning. A word of encouragement from you as school has started back can change a child's life forever. Think about it this morning, coaches. A good word from you at just the right time can shape a young man or young woman, change the whole season. Man, you can change their whole life if you're an encourager. Think about it, Sunday school teacher. You're about to sit at the table with the kids for crafts and Bible study. 
activities, telling a child how happy you are to see them and how you pray for them all week and how they're an important part of your life can change them forever. Think about it this morning, employer, uh, an encouraging work and take a good employee and make her a great employee. I'll give you a foolproof test. This is the way you could know if someone needs encouragement. It'll work, I guarantee you, it is foolproof. If someone is breathing, they need encouragement. There you go. <laughs> if someone is breathing, they need encouragement. Some of you here this morning are, are not encouragers. You're discouragers. You go through life like a dark cloud raining on everybody else's parade. You're not a Barnabas. You're not a Paul. You're not a Moses. You're not like Hezekiah. There's a third thing I want you to see. Barnabas encouraged by serving. Acts 11. Look at Acts 11, 21. Acts 11, 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. Every time you see Barnabas in Acts, the word encouragement is associated with the son of encouragement. He encouraged them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Saul's earlier persecution, when he was the persecutor of the church, had scattered believers, and these were 300 miles north of Jerusalem at Antioch. And the gospel is spreading in this city, uh, this great city, which, which numbered maybe a half million people in population. And the Jerusalem believers couldn't believe that the church could grow in Antioch. Why, the church was growing in Jewish circles before, and this was a Greek city with Greek influence. And they sent a one-man investigation team. We're hearing that they're professing Jesus is Lord in Antioch. Barnabas, will you go check them out? Barnabas says, I'll go. But Barnabas, the risky one, I'll go and visit with the Greeks. And when he gets there, he rejoiced and he began to encourage them. Are you willing to encourage others by serving? Are you willing to encourage others by serving? Bud Wilkinson, former football coach at the University of Oklahoma, was delivering a, a series of lectures on physical fitness and staying physically fit. And well, a TV reporter was interviewing him about this series he was going through on physical fitness. And the reporter asked a question, what would you say, coach, is a contribution of football, modern football, to physical fitness? What is a contribution of football to this physical fitness? And he shocked everybody. He said, absolutely nothing is the contribution of football to physical fitness. The reporter kind of squirmed and was surprised by the coach's response. And he said, would you elaborate on that, coach? He said, certainly. I define football 
is 22 men on the field who are in dire need of rest, while 75,000 people are in the stands who are in dire need of exercise. Football doesn't help anybody get any exercise. Sometimes church looks that way. Some of you doing too much and some of you doing too little. Are you a Barnabas? Are you serving your church, your time, your talents, not just your money, to be an encourager? Douglas Marr of Missouri was 15 years old, and he started feeling badly for a few days. His mother took him to the hospital in St. Louis where he was diagnosed as he got leukemia. The doctors then, as they don't now, they didn't sugarcoat anything. You're going to have to get chemotherapy, and you're going to lose your hair, and you're going to become bloated, and it's, it's going to be uh, quite a time going through this for three years of treatment. They said to the 15-year-old Douglas Meyer, his aunt felt sorry for her nephew, called the florist shop to send some flowers, she told the clerk, this is for my teenage nephew who's just been told he's got three years of chemo because he has leukemia. When the flowers arrived, they were beautiful in the hospital room. And, well, the nephew, Douglas, he took out the card from his aunt and he read it without any emotion. Then he noticed he'd never had this before, but there was a second card among the flowers and he opened it up. Douglas, I took your order I work at Bricks Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm now 22. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. Douglas is in the hospital filled with millions of dollars worth of equipment, the very best trained medical staff. He had a very caring family. But it was a sales clerk in a flower shop who took the time to serve in writing a note and telling Douglas, you can make it to the other side. I did, and you can too. Finally, Barnabas encouraged by forgiving, Acts 15. Turn over to Acts 15, 36. Acts 15, 36. Paul and Barnabas have been on the first missionary journey. When we get to Acts 15, they're ready to go on a second missionary journey. Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting they would not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. You remember that Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey, they took young John Mark with them. When they reached Pamphylia, he, he threw in the towel. He quit the missionary journey. Was he homesick? Was he too young? I don't know, but he quit. When they're ready to go and revisit the churches they started, Barnabas says, okay, Paul, I'll go with you. Let me go get John Mark. And Paul says, John Mark's not going with me. He's a quitter. I won't trust him again. 
He quit on me in Pamphylia. He's not the one to go with us. We won't waste our time with a man like John Mark on this trip. In fact, there was such a sharp division that Barnabas stood by John Mark and went with him and Paul picked Silas. And we have two missionary teams because Barnabas believed in John Mark. Are you going to be an encourager by being a forgiver? Barnabas was willing to give John Mark another chance. You know, you think about it. In most of our relationships and discussions, we're worried about who's right and who's wrong. Who wins and who loses. The reality is we waste a lot of time trying to win the argument or be right or be wrong or prove our point. The reality is it's about forgiveness. I need to be forgiven and I need to forgive. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong in the argument. At the end of the day, in Ephesians 4.32, Paul said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Well, what about Paul? What about him not forgiving John Mark? Well, at the end of 2 Timothy 4.11, the last book that, that Paul writes, he's expecting death. He pens these words, Go get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. At the end of the day... Paul follows Barnabas' leads and he forgives John Mark. And when Paul is there writing his last letter, he gets to pick one helper. He says, I want John Mark. He's the guy that's useful to me. Paul forgives and gives John Mark a second chance. So what are you going to be? An encourager? or a discourager. Everybody who comes into contact with you at school, at the hospital, at the bank, at the office, at the church, on the playing field, everybody who comes into contact with you will either be encouraged or discouraged. You're going to leave your mark. Will you be a Barnabas, a son of encouragement? I started my sermon I'm telling you about my buddy Dwayne Brooks and the father who threw the baseball at his chest and left him standing on the field and said, I told you, you're not a baseball player. Fast forward three decades later, at that point in life, Dwayne was a man who had his own sons and he had a fourth grade son by the name of Chase. And just like his daddy, guess what he wants to play? Baseball. In fact, he is on a baseball team. It just so happened that Dwayne's father was visiting, and Dwayne said to his father, a father who had long, for, long ago forgotten something Dwayne had never forgotten, that his father discouraged him by throwing a, a ball, hurling it at his chest. He said to his own dad, Dad, you want to go out and watch me and Chase pitch the baseball? That's what we do in the afternoons. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that, said Dwayne's father. He went out and he watched Dwayne play catch with his fourth grade son back and forth, back, forth. Finally, Dwayne's father said, I'd like to do that. Can I pitch the ball to my grandson? And Dwayne said for two hours, he watched his dad gently throw the ball back 
forth and back and forth with his fourth great son. And the wound was healed. And the father who had once been a discourager came full circle and became the encourager to the boys and his family. What about you? Would your friends and family say, she's always encouraging. And even when you speak the truth, there's a right way to do it. Do you do it to repair and build up and correct, or you do it to destroy and discourage and tear down? Over 30 times, God's Word commands you, be an encourager. Are you an encourager? What would your family, what would your friends have to say if we ask them? Let us pray. Oh God, may we follow Barnabas, the son of encouragement, He encouraged by giving liberally to the church. He encouraged by believing in others. He encouraged by serving. He encouraged by forgiving. But Barnabas, the other apostles' discouragers, but Barnabas. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.